All right, let's dive into the Word together. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, midway through verse 21 is where we're going to begin uh, tonight. As you are turning there, and hope that you'll follow along with us, um, if you need a Bible again or some note sheets, slip back there and grab one on the table real quick. There's pens back there. No worries. We'll, we'll let you grab one. I'd rather you follow along. Um, let's go to the Lord and pray. Ask for his help one more time as we dive in together. Okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open your word again tonight, we pray uh, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your word. Lord, I pray you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We pray we would see that your grace is enough for us, no matter what we are going through tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you uh, were to ask me to write a recommendation letter for you, which I'm happy to do, by the way, if you ever do, I've written recommendation letters for a lot of you that have come and asked for different things, National Honor Society, college applications, uh, various clubs, etc. Uh, what I have never done on any of your letters of recommendation is talk about your weaknesses and the things you're bad at. That doesn't really communicate real well on a letter of recommendation. No, every time I get a letter of recommendation that I'm asked to write, I always, whew, I'm about to float away, I always bring up your strengths, okay? And I will elevate your strengths, and I will make you sound like you are the greatest human being and Christian on the earth when I write these letters of recommendation. That's my goal, so that way you can get whatever you're trying to achieve. So I've never said, here are three reasons why Zoe should not be accepted into National Honor Society, you know? You know, and then I just list off three negative things, you know, and then I just, and then I sign sincerely her pastor, Mark, you know, and send it off. No, I would not do that. That's ridiculous, right? I always talk about the strengths, the reasons that you should get in, etc. It's a lot easier for us, especially when we're talking about ourselves, isn't it, to talk about our strengths than it is our weaknesses. Um, we're pretty naturally prone to talking about how good we are at something and bringing up our strengths to someone, things that we find are, are good qualities about us. If you're in a job interview one day, they're going to ask you, what are your strengths, and then give me three weaknesses, and you're going to have to come up with strengths, and you might say, I'm organized, I'm a team player, and then they're going to ask you, what are your weaknesses, and you're going to have to now think of something and be honest about areas of improvement in your life. And you're going to be tempted to make it like, a strength 2.0, like I'm too committed to my job, you know, I'm too hardworking, whatever. That's, that's, that's not a, a weakness. They're not looking for that. So it's a lot easier to talk about, talk about strengths and weaknesses. If you have uh, any knowledge about how a, a small child operates, okay, they naturally tend to want to try to do things on their own. Okay, to prove that they can do it, all right? Around two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, 
what they will often say is when they try to do something, they say, I got it, I got it, I can do it, I can do it. We know from experience, right? So that they're naturally prone to do that. So like if they're putting on a T-shirt, for instance, their head is through the armhole, and they're stuck like this, and they're wrapped like this, and you're like, can I help you? And they're like, no, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. And I'm like, I don't know how to communicate this to you, bro, but you do not have it, okay? You are stuck. And if I don't help you, you're not getting out, all right? You are completely stuck. You are helpless in this situation. But as we get older, you know what? We do the exact same thing. We're just bigger. We're just prone to still say, I got it. We're prone to look at God in our faith and say, I got it. We're prone to look at our friends who ask us if we need anything. We say, I got it. I don't need anybody's help. Why? Because naturally, we want to show people that we have it all together, that we are capable, that we are strong, that we are good enough, smart enough, we can handle it. And the gospel calls us to something different. The gospel of Jesus Christ actually calls us to show weakness. In fact, to follow Jesus, it requires that you show weakness. In order to even believe in Jesus and follow him, you have to acknowledge that you are weak and need him. And then as his children, as God's children, we must continually have the exact same heart, acknowledging that we are weak, desperate and needy for him. And so the whole goal of tonight is to see the importance of acknowledging weakness, the reality of weakness in our life, and how that weakness actually drives us to Jesus. So that's the goal today. So here's our main truth for tonight. Main truth is this. When we are weak, Jesus makes us strong. When we are weak, Jesus makes us strong. When you are weak, You don't make yourself strong. You don't muster up strength. You have one source of strength. His name is Jesus. So I pray that we see that tonight. Um, I'm going to read this. Can I, for later on in the message, I need two people that are willing to read something out loud in the Bible. Bailey, do you want to read something? Okay, just hold your place there in Hebrews 4.16. Okay, can I get someone else that would want to read? Aiden? Hold your place in Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Okay, so Bailey's going to read later, Hebrews 4, 16. Aiden's going to read Philippians 4, 12, and 13, and that will be later in the message, and I'll tell you. Just have it, have your finger on it. We're going to begin reading right in the middle of verse eleven twenty one here. Okay? That guy on Sunday morning that spoke, Tim LaFleur, like a couple weeks ago, he said, once you're there, say word. I love that. So if you're there in 2 Corinthians 11, will you say word? word. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're going to begin at the word, but whatever. Okay, it's the beginning of a new paragraph. But whatever anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Now, Paul, pause. Paul is talking about himself compared to the false, the false teachers, okay? 
They're saying that they're a servant of Christ. He's saying he's a true servant of Christ, and he's going to tell us why. He says, I'm talking like a madman. It's the middle of verse 23. He's bragging. He, Paul, Paul hates this. He doesn't want to brag and put attention on himself. I'm speaking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. That's 39 lashes, five separate times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, uh, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Let's pause right there. So Paul is showing that he's a servant of Christ. There's these other false teachers that are slipped into the church, and they look really cool, and they look really trendy, and they look like they're very charismatic and dynamic speakers. They would be our Instagram TikTok preachers, okay? They're the guys that are prancing around on stage. Their Bible's not anywhere close to them. They're wearing nice clothes, and they have a handheld microphone, okay? And they're just dancing around on stage, and the captions are popping up on your TikTok feed as they talk. That's them, all right? Can you just do me a favor and don't get your theology from TikTok and Instagram? Can we agree on that? Or YouTube, all right? If you hear something that sounds really nifty on social media... Your first reaction needs to be, does that actually say that in the Bible? That needs to be your first reaction. Test everything with Scripture. Test what I say with Scripture. I'm not a perfect human being. Test everything you hear with the Bible. And if you're not sure, come talk to me about it. I would love to do that. So he's, he's trying to prove that he's a true servant of Christ and not these false teachers. They're bragging about all their ministry success. So these guys would brag about the size of their churches. So if they were with Paul, they would be bragging about, my church exploded, a thousand people new in attendance this past year. We baptized, you know, 85 people in two months. We saw a thousand people come to Christ last year. You know, we had this many people that just said that they walked away from addiction That's what they're doing. They're using stats to try to show how powerful their ministry is. And Paul would be actually the other guy that says, well, um, all I did this year was I preached the gospel and I really prayed for my people and I poured out my life for them and all it did was it got me beaten. It got me put in prison. I didn't see many people get saved. The churches I planted are all a mess. None of them are really following Jesus like I wanted them to. And uh, yeah, that's been about my year, so it's going really well. That's, that's pretty much what's happening here. He's saying, I'm serving Christ, and yet all of this is what's happening. He's bragging about things that are weak, showing weakness, showing that it looks like Paul's not doing a, a good job. But he's saying, actually, all of this proves 
that I am a, a true servant of Christ. It's my suffering. It's my weakness. Why? Why would he say that? Because the power of the gospel shines most brightly in weak vessels, in weak people. How can you magnify the strength of someone who's much stronger than you? All right, if someone is much, much stronger than you and has a weight that you cannot lift, all right, does it magnify their strength if you just try to push it as hard as you can and it's not going anywhere? Does that magnify the other person's strength or does it magnify how strong they are when you say, hey, can you help me? And they just like lift it right up, right? It shows how strong they are. In our weakness, we show how strong Jesus is. And Paul's bragging about weakness. So there's some things that jump off the page here. He says he's imprisoned a lot, more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I was received 39 lashes. This is like whipped, being whipped on the back with a cat of nine tails. They had like bone and spurs in this whip, and they would beat Paul with it because he preached the gospel. That didn't sound like a, a person's church that you would really sign up for. You want to go where it's happening, where the lights are you know, moving all around where there's a lot of activity, where people are jumping and moving and screaming. It looks like there's a lot of life there. You may not want to go to the pastor who shows up at the pulpit and he's got scars on his back from the week. This is what Paul is saying. Now, why would Paul do this? Why would Paul do this? Paul does this because he wants to show his weakness. In verse 30, he says, I will boast about the things that show weakness. Paul is trying to show this church and he's trying to show us that these things, the reason I told you this is because it shows the areas where, I'm, where I can't do it. I'm limited. I'm not a preaching machine. I'm not perfect. I have problems. I have real difficulty in my life. And this is what serving Christ has gotten me. That my life is really, really challenging and I can't do it. That's why he's saying it. He's saying, I'm, I'm weak. And Christians are called to talk about things that show our weakness, which is the exact opposite of, culturals, uh, of the cultural message that we hear today. Everything you hear in our world is, you need to be strong. You need to prove yourself. Guys, it's you need to be strong and show no weakness. And if you struggle, we will laugh at you and you're not a man. Girls, it ha- it's you're enough. You're attractive. You must be strong. You must do this. You must prove that you can do everything a man can do. And you're, you are physically the same. There's no limits of what you cannot achieve. And the reality is we have to show weakness. The Christian message is a message where we come to the Lord with weakness. And guess what? That's a really good thing. There's things that we cannot do. There's things that we were not meant to do, able to do. We're we're called to show weakness. We cannot do this life in our own power. We are frail, finite, fleshly people, man. The flesh is weak, Jesus says. We're weak. We're full of weakness. We're full of inadequacy, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because what it means is, is that our weakness is actually the road that leads us to the Savior. 
when you feel really strong, you don't really feel a lot of desire to go to Jesus. But when you are weak, that road and that path leads you to a Savior who is strong, who suffered for you, who understands all of your weakness. So we will show our weakness. That means that this life requires us to be vulnerable. It means that we've got to be open. That we've got to let people into our life. We've got to open up about our shortcomings, our sin, and our suffering. We've got to open up about our past and our problems. We've certainly got to be honest about it with Jesus. And then we need to open up to a trusted friend maybe even a trusted parent or a guardian. Let people in. We cannot keep photoshopping our life and putting Instagram filters over all of our blemishes and imperfections and posting only the good things about our life. We've got to let people in. The reason is because the only way we can grow as a follower of Jesus is if we are open about our weakness. That's it. We cannot grow if we will not acknowledge where we are weak. We struggle with this in the Christian life, don't we? Jesus' invitation is come to me, all who are weary, all who are weak, come to me. He says, I want it all. I want all of your weakness. Come to me. I'll never cast you out. That's the invitation from Christ. And listen, We're all a mess, okay? Every single one of us in the room. We're all a mess, including your pastor. You don't live in my head. You don't don't know the things that I have to bounce my eyes off of. You don't know the pride I struggle with. I was in middle school once, and I struggled to find friends. I was in high school once, struggling with my own purity. I remember, we're all a mess. And that's exactly where Christ invites us, right in our mess. He says, come to me, come to me. Our weakness is our path to the cross. So let's bring our weakness to Christ. Have you opened up to someone? Is there anyone in your life you've opened up to about the areas where you're weak? I'm telling you guys, it's the pathway to freedom. It is. It's the pathway to healing and joy. To stop hiding in the dark. So, we have to show and confess the areas where we... I I didn't even say point one, did I? All right. So that was all point one. Sorry. It was we must confess weakness. We must confess weakness. I got a little ahead of myself, didn't I? We must confess weakness. We must confess it if we want to grow as a follower of Jesus. All right, let's keep reading chapter 12. So not only must we confess weakness, but now we're going to see something different, that sometimes in our life we have a crippling weakness. Look at verse 12.1. I must go on boasting, Paul says, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up 
to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on behalf of... on, behalf, on my own behalf, sorry, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. So he's committed to only talking about his weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I will refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't you love that? Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul begins this section by talking about this revelation he had. We don't really know what this was or looked like. We know it was 14 years ago. We know he's kind of has this moment where he's caught up into the heavens. He has a vision of of the Lord in some way. And he's saying, I could boast about that, but I'm not even going to boast about that because the man you see in front of you is a man full of weakness. So he's continuing to boast about his weakness. And this is the weakness that we see here. It's verse 7. He says, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is where point number two comes in. Point number two, we will have crippling weakness. There will be seasons in your life that will move beyond just general weakness to a more aggressive, debilitating affliction that will harass you keep you up at night it'll be there when you wake up it'll be there during the day it'll be there when you're at church it'll be there when you try to read your bible it'll be there when you try to focus on school it is a constant nagging affliction can i have two volunteers two helpers abby layla come on up thorn in the flesh this is a skewer. It's going to act as our thorn. Okay, who would like to stab who? <laughs> Abby said, can I stab? Sure, you may stab. All right. Now, stand here so we can both see you side by side. All right. Um, turn and face the crowd, all right? All right. Uh, just hold out your arm. Hold out your arm, okay? Would you now just poke her easily, okay? Don't hurt her, Okay. Does it hurt? Okay, now can you, all right, keep your arm out, all right? All right, just keep going, just nice little jabs, okay? Does it hurt? It's not too bad. Okay, don't kill her, don't kill her. Okay, okay, okay. Now imagine, thank you, that's all. All right, you may be seated, okay. Oh, did you, 
did you want to stab her in return or? Okay, just why don't you, why don't you just give her, just make it even. Okay, there you go. See, it's not so bad. All right, thank you. All right, y'all can give it up for our volunteers. Thank you very much. All right, great job. All right, um, you okay? Battle wound for the sermon. Okay, here we go. All right, imagine. <laughs> all right, imagine if that happened all day long. Imagine if you, just poking all day long, holding it into your side. Would that be awful? Yes. It would be irritating? Yes. You'd want anything to take it away? Yes. It would, it, would, it would keep you up from sleeping? Probably. It would keep you from focusing? Yes. 100% it would, right? That would be awful, right? If you have a skewer or a thorn in your flesh, in your side, it's going to be all you think about, right? Paul is literally saying he has some sort of thorn, and we don't know what the thorn is. We're not told whatever this type of suffering, affliction is. He does not tell us, and that's probably a good thing, because it means that we can apply it to nearly everything in our life. Okay, There will be seasons where you will get a certain kind of crippling affliction, a thorn in your flesh that is going to nag you and keep you humble. Something that will make you walk with a limp. Something that keeps you from walking with swag. Okay, we'll just put it that way. Something that keeps you from feeling important. Keeps you humble. But it also keeps you dependent on Jesus. So, I've told some of you this before. When I was in college, when I was 19 years old, I was at a church event with uh, a friend's church in Meridian, Mississippi. And right smack dab in the middle of that church event, I got a doubtful thought. I got a doubt. One simple thought came into my head. Don't know where it came from. And I began to doubt. I began to have thoughts come into my head, doubting my own faith, And that led to a spiraling effect of wrestling with doubtful thoughts in my head on repeat for not months, but years. From 19 into my early 20s. Now, there's a caveat here. I knew the thoughts in my head were lies. I refused to believe that they were true. You guys tracking with me? But yet, it felt like I had to wrestle through doubts, skepticism about everything you could imagine under the sun. It felt like I had to reason with them all day long, that I had to figure them out. And yet, I knew that the doubts were not true, and I refused to believe them, and I was absolutely committed to believing the word of God was true in spite of what my own head was trying to tell me. Does that make sense? I refused to believe the lies in my head, and I chose to believe the truth of God's word. And that season of my life was so crippling, it created anxiety, it created frustration, it created exhaustion. I was unable to focus the only relief I got was when I was asleep. 
When I woke up, it was there. When I went to bed, it was there. When I was at church, it was there. When I read my Bible, it was there. It was like constant. And all I know how to do is just say it was a spiritual attack. It was a spiritual attack. I don't know another way to say it. And it's hard to describe to you, quite honestly. And maybe some of you have felt this before. It felt like a spiritual attack. Uh, Paul says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. The uh, word harass is literally the word for punch with the fist. And it's funny, I didn't know that until I read, I studied that this week, but the image I had when I was in that season of life in college was I felt like mentally I was in a corner and Satan was punching me and I could not get out of the corner. That was how I felt. And then to hear the harass sounds like punch, or it meant punch with the fist. I was like, that's how I felt. All I knew to do in that season of life the only thing I knew to do, and it's what you ought to do, I hope. I would go into my room, I would close the door, and I would just fall on my knees. And I begged God to take that away from me. It was so crippling. I would think things like, you're a Christian, you can't think this way. You want to go into ministry, you can't wrestle with these things. It began one month after I surrendered to use my life to preach the word of God. Think about that. So maybe it's a testing before going into ministry. I don't know. I threw myself on the ground, prayed that Jesus would take them away, and I just prayed this prayer over and over again. I said, Lord, please reveal yourself to me. I just prayed that over and over again. Jesus, reveal yourself to me again and again, and again, and again. And do you know how many times I saw Jesus in that season of life? Over and over and over again. He would answer me with a specific verse that would answer exactly the, whatever thought was in my head. He would show up in my Bible reading exactly what I was meditating on. He would speak to me, I am with you through his word, reminding me of his presence continually in that season of life. And yet, in spite of all that, I would see him and then I would still struggle. And then I would see him again and I would still struggle. Maybe that's you. But guess what? You're going to have a thorn in the flesh at some point. Maybe your thorn is different. What is your thorn right now? If you don't have something, maybe you will later. But if you do, maybe your thorn is something like this. Maybe it's paranoia. Maybe it's irrational fears. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's insomnia. You can't sleep at night. Maybe it's temptation, a, a nagging temptation to sin. Maybe it is doubt, skepticism. Maybe it's a bully that's constantly there at school and away from school. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts. Maybe it's same-sex attraction. Maybe it's a relationship conflict. Maybe it's a broken home. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe you're injury-prone. I don't know what it is. But every now and then, we will go through these difficult seasons where we get a thorn in the flesh. And the thorn 
is meant to throw us onto Jesus. That's why it exists. The thorn that comes into your life that is crippling you, keeping you from focus and intimacy with Christ and a love for God's people and a focus when you read the word and a focus at school, that whatever that is, that is literally given to you by God under his control and it is meant to throw you onto Jesus. It is a mercy in your life and it doesn't feel like it. It is a gift in your life and it does not feel like it. I can honestly say, looking back on a few years of that struggle, I would not change it. Because what happened was I came out on the other side, and it did lift. I came out on the other side stronger in my faith, more resilient, more confident in Christ and his word than I had ever been before. And I saw more of him during that season than I ever had in my whole life. I wouldn't change that for the world. And now it just becomes a ministry to people. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me in the last 10 years and said, hey, I'm struggling with doubt. Is this bad? I'm saying, well, sit down. How much time do you have? And it's been a great gift from God. I wouldn't change it. It is meant to throw you on Christ. Let me show you one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite people that has ever lived on this earth from Charles Spurgeon, okay? He says, I learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. You know how waves crash on the beach? Bam. And if there's a lot of rocks, they smack that rock. Crash. Crash. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What Spurgeon is saying is, the thing that throws you against Jesus, you've learned to love that you have that thing. Because it is keeping you dependent on Christ. And if you didn't have it for whatever reason... You wouldn't depend on Christ like you should. And it is a great gift to be forced to depend on Jesus. Oh, such a gift. And I want you to see this. Oh, oh boy, we got to hurry. Okay, last point. Last point. Point number three, Christ strengthens us in our weakness. This is the whole purpose of why we're talking about this. Look at what he says. He says, I pleaded with the Lord that he should Take this away, that it should leave me, verse 8. But he said to me, he said to me, he answers this prayer. Don't miss this. Jesus actually answers the prayer, Lord, let this leave me with, it'll leave you later. Nope, it's not what it says. It'll leave you right now. Nope, not what it says. It says, he answers, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He's, his answer, the Lord's answer is, the length of the thorn is not the point. The point is that Christ will be with you in the pain. The grace that is talked about here is that you get Jesus and you get his presence when you struggle. That's the gift that you don't go into it alone. And his presence with you is your strength. Aiden, it's time to read Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Can you read that for us nice and loud?
Amen. Thank you. He says, I've learned to face plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can face anything through Christ who gives me strength. That verse that gets thrown around a lot is about you being able to walk through anything because Christ gives you strength. Hebrews 4.16. Go ahead, Bailey. Love that verse. Thank you. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. When you're struggling, when you're weak, when you're weak, Jesus says, let's draw near to him. Because when we draw near to him, it's a throne of grace. We get help and mercy in our time of need. Man, what a gift. Jesus says that he will not put out even a faintly burning wick. Have you seen a candle that's about to die? Have you seen a candle that's about to die? You know how you handle that candle so that it doesn't burn out? How do you carry it? Really gently, slowly. Isaiah 42 says that's how Jesus deals with you. Some of you, in your faith, you feel like you're barely lit. You're a Christian, but you feel like you're just barely shining right now. And Jesus says that he won't even put out a faintly burning wick. That means that if there's even a little bit of light there, Jesus deals gently with you, kind to you, tender to us. When we have those thorns, Jesus is not there with a heavy hand going, stop, get your act together. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus deals tenderly and kindly with us, and he invites us in. The gospel is the only invitation that we will ever get where we are actually invited because we are weak and not because we are strong. Only the gospel invites you because you're weak, not strong. Islam doesn't do that. Jewish faith doesn't do that. Mormons don't do that. You have to have effort. You have to obey rules. You have to submit in all of these things. Catholicism doesn't do that. You have to keep the sacraments. Only through Jesus, only through Jesus, are you invited because you are weak. And we come to him. And we say, Jesus, I've got faith, but I've also got a lot of doubt. Sometimes I have peace, but I also have a ton of anxiety. I desire you, but I'm also completely addicted to this sin. I want to stand out for you, but I also really want people to accept me. We're pretty complex, aren't we? And we come to him, and he says, I want it all. I will give you myself. I will give you help. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will heal you. Only in Jesus do we have this grace. He is enough for us. He really is better, isn't he? Where are you going to go tomorrow when you feel weak? What are you going to run to? Where are you going to go? Back to the TV? Back to your phone? You know what the thorn does? The thorn numbs us. If we choose to run from Jesus, we just grow numb. We grow numb in our affections, numb in our emotions. We stop running to Jesus 
Let the thorn, the weakness, drive you to Christ. We can endure our thorn because our Savior wore a crown of thorns. And through him, we have forgiveness and rest and peace. He is enough. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. We'll be dismissed. Lord God, we love you. We're thankful for the cross. Jesus, we're thankful that you help us in our time of weakness and in need. Thank you, Lord, that you are a kind Savior. You deal gently with us, that we're not alone. Lord, let us go to Jesus who gives us strength. When we're weak tomorrow, let's not go anywhere else but straight to Jesus. He gives us strength. He lifts our head. We pray you would do that for all of us in this room tonight. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.